welcome to episode six of the Author Elevate podcast with Janine Ippolito and Amy Williams. Yes. And just FYI, this is the podcast formerly known as Own Your Unique Words. And if you're listening on Apple, we don't know what graphic you're seeing right now, but we're still working on it as we're getting all the pieces into place with this. And we are glad that you are here where we equip and encourage authors to reach their next level and have some fun along the way. Yay! So, ah, yes, super awesome there. So whether you were tuning in from, oh, where where are we, Amy? Where can they be listening to this from? Wherever they find a podcast. So are. whether it's Stitcher or Apple, as we mentioned before, mm -hmm. and, or Google or Spotify <laughs> or wherever you are. Um, we're so glad that you're joining us and, uh, we hope that, uh, that you get some awesome information and have some fun here. Um, subscribe yes. so that you don't miss any new content. Um, and, and also, also review, we like yes. reviews and if you find this helpful, we like shares too. So if you want ways to like, show us some love and joy that don't require you to give us money, you can subscribe, you can set live reviews, you can share this episode uh, to others on social media and stuff so they're also encouraged and equipped. That being said, if you want to give us money, I mean, yeah, we've okay. set up a couple of opportunities for you to do so. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to watch, uh, like if you want an early access to the show or notes and freebies and all sorts of fun stuff you can support us on our patreon page and that gets people access to our mastermind facebook group which is a private area and we get to jam with people in there about some story stuff and do some videos and things and have to have some fun yes. uh, and that's for as cheap as a dollar a month right oh yeah dollar a month up to three dollars a month gets you stickers Five dollars a month gets you stickers and exclusive worksheets and stuff, which we are busy cooking up as everything happens. And of course, if you're like Janine, I just can't do any of this right now. Join us in the Author Elevate Jam session on Facebook, where it's just this is a very just chill place to hang out and talk stories. No matter what, we're just really thrilled to death that you're here. So thank you so much for Absolutely. joining us. Now, uh, personal shares. So what's going on lately in your writing life, Amy? In my writing life, I am super excited because I'm going back to fiction. <laughs> I Yeah, I spent the first quarter of this year working on a nonfiction project uh -huh. and uh, did really good. And now that it's off with an agent being considered um, and I'm waiting, um, I am returning to my first love, which is fiction. Yeah. And so I've got, I've got two projects currently underway. Um, one is going to be a, sort of a reimagining of the story of Isaac and Rebecca out of the Bible. Ooh, interesting. Um, and it involves camels. <laughs> I just, I mean, of course it does, but like. <laughs> because I can. Um, and then. Just, it's one of those inherently funny words. Like yeah. just like camels and it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, and then the other project, I'm, I'm working on another one of my superhero books. Ooh, so, okay. and that one's going to take me a little bit longer because I'm only working on it like once a week, but mm, it's, yeah. it's my fun, my fun project. So. Mm -hmm. How about you? What's going on with you? 
I am working away at Thorns at Sunrise. Woo, I am yay. almost done with chapter five in that. It's only going to be a 15 chapter book because he's oh my short, goodness. Short little novellas. Yes. Yeah. So about 40K a piece. And um, so I had to do that sit back and go, okay. Do what I have these twisties in here and these little like you know surprises. Okay, how exactly are they going to fall into place and figure out all the bits and pieces? Because if this is the second uh, standalone fairy tale in the story world, I was going to say now isn't it isn't it in the same as Met by Midnight universe? It is, and that one is like super twisty and stuff, and so this okay. one is too. And so I have nice. to always take a step back and say, okay, do the twists work? Does it line up? Does it work with the overall message? How does the poetry flow with things? Etc. And it's so I took a couple of days on that, and I'm going to dive back in and start writing it. It's interesting because this particular series it takes a little bit longer to write each book because they have so many twists in such a small space. And you might think that like longer books take longer to write. That's true sometimes, but sometimes shorter books take longer to write because you have to like you have, you have less space to put everything in there. And so I'm busy working with that, which is fun. That's awesome. And yeah, so that's been fantastic. And I have some of my books back in paperback again, which is good. I had to finally get the new covers figured out for them. So that's exciting. Good. And so I'm having a good time with it overall. It's It's been a lot of fun, especially with Met by Midnight being up for an award. It's kind of fun to get to talk about the second book. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh. Yes. And as far as what's new and shiny, we're actually going to dive right into the topic, the main topic this week, because a lot of what we're talking about in this main topic is what's new and shiny, because we're comparing what was true 15, 20 years ago in publishing with what is true now. So this is a question posed by author Jason McCoy in our author Elevate Mastermind. And Hi, asked, Jason! Yay, Jason! And he asked us to share what it was like when we were new authors versus now. And we did the first part of that last week because we realized this was a huge topic to discuss. And last week's episode was an hour just talking <laughs> about personal experience and growth. So very glad that this week we decided to tackle... Um, how things have changed in terms of external stuff and in terms of what has changed in the industry and what has changed with how you do things with what's available to authors, etc. And so we're sort of comparing the 2000s, like the early 2000s, to now in 2022, more or less. So we're sort of comparing from like 2000 to 2005 to now. What I like about that is that if you look back earlier, I mean... No, duh, the 80s are different than now. Like, <laughs> but a lot of shifts have happened in the publishing industry in the last 20 years, which is yeah. very, very fast. And so we're going to tackle that smaller capsule of time versus comparing this to like 50 years ago when, of course, there's differences. And just a final caveat, we are not trying to make too many value judgments here. It's really easy to say things were better in the old days or that they're better now. This varies, right, Amy? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are there are a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that saying? Que sera, sera. <laughs> <laughs> in in the in the early two thousands, you know, things were done a certain way, yeah. and you had to figure out the best way to do do this for yourself. 
And you know what? Kind of, it's the exact same way today too. (laughs) So at the, at the core of it, I mean, when it, when it comes right down to it, the core of of this Mm -hmm. business hasn't really changed, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is the tools and resources that are, that are available differ so much now. And a lot of the opportunities I found as well for good and for ill. There's a lot more options now in some cases, and that can be a good thing that can be a bewildering thing like I tell as I say to people when they say oh well it was easier being an author like 25 years ago and I'm like probably a lot of you wouldn't be authors Uh, right 25 years ago I you know and it's it's so many gatekeepers because we were we were talking as we were talking about this I I got to thinking that you know there there were elements of writing 20 years ago Mm -hmm. that I enjoyed but I wouldn't go back to it Mm-hmm. I I mean I I don't think I enjoyed anything 20 years ago enough to really want to go back to it as far as the writing industry goes. I right, right. I am quite content where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um and so the and, joke is that 20 years ago versus now, you couldn't get published then. Yeah. This is a good thing. This is a bad thing. <laughs> a lot of authors are getting published now that couldn't get published before. This is a good thing. This is probably not always a good thing. <laughs> it is a double-edged sword, to be with, sure. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and sometimes authors use it well, and sometimes not so well. The beautiful thing is also, again, for any of those who are feeling like I'm that person that didn't do it right the first time, there's grace, there's chances to do it again, there's ways to relaunch, okay? So don't get in your headspace about that. But now we're going to dive into the same categories we did last week of writing, editing, publishing, and marketing, only talking about how things were back then, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s versus now in 2022. (sighs) So, which again astonishes me that we've been around long enough to even talk about things in that. I know. Span I know. Of time. And, and, and if you were out there in our listening audience and you're like, you know, significantly older than we are, give us grace here. Yes, please. We know that we have a lot longer to go. We know that this is probably very amusing to you that we are thinking this in our, you know, mid, late 30s, close to 40 when you're like 70. Just just give it to us here, okay? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're still adjusting to the gray hairs. <laughs> so just give us grace on that. But one of the things that was a big difference is that back in the early 2000s, there weren't as many writing books, websites, blogs, resources, all trying to tell you what to do. It just didn't, they just weren't there. You didn't have the internet quite as strongly in the early 2000s. You know, a lot of people were still using dial-up and stuff. If they had internet at all. Right. Yeah. It, It just, it was slow. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't reliable and you'd lose it or it would take forever for a page to load. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, it was, most everything was done mm-hmm. with physical copies of books. Right. Like I had a dictionary and a thesaurus, right. physical, yes, physical hardback copies <laughs> that, that I would use. Or when I went to the library to get a book, I would have to use the card catalog. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, cause it just, the technology had not progressed to where we are today. Mm -hmm. And Um, uh, something else is it was harder to find resources for writing groups and community. Like you just didn't have that as much then, because again, you, you could find it online, but it wasn't as numerous. Um, You wouldn't, couldn't be as picky. It couldn't be nearly as picky as you can now. Like you can't just 
you know, you couldn't up and leave the only group you have, whereas now you can do that for good or for ill. Yeah. Um, there were fewer genres in general. Definitely fewer genres, mm -hmm. at least as far as, I mean, there were, there were stories mm -hmm. that w would cross genres. Mm -hmm. There were, there were, you could, you would see mashups or you trope combos as mm -hmm. we talked about last week. Um, there, there were a few of those that, but they were few and far between. Yeah. And the industry was really geared toward just mystery or thriller yeah. or sci-fi or mm -hmm. fantasy. And it wasn't, it wasn't combinations of them and it wasn't all of the variations of them. So if you had a romance book, it was just romance. Mm -hmm. It, and what you well, go ahead. understand is the business <clears throat> changed. Yeah. So back then, it didn't suit the publishing companies to encourage all these genres because then they would have to figure out how to reach them, market them, sell to them, and get reach their bottom line. So something else to, to kind of consider with all of this is that none of these changes happen in a vacuum. There, mm -hmm. There's lots of pull, pushes and pulls and tension, and one of those is business, is revenue streams is trying to figure out who to market to. And so why would you make more genres that are more difficult for you to market to? I mean, even nowadays, we've had episodes where we're like, if you have 10 genres in your book, it's going to be hard to market. <laughs> so it wasn't really in the best interest of the publishing companies to encourage all of these different niche genres. Whereas nowadays, with the Wild West of Amazon still being the Wild West, you can have just little baby genres mutate one day. <laughs> or, or as we talked about last week, you could go through Kalytics and find different things and make new trope combos and make new genres to try to reach different audiences. So it's a completely different ball game there. Yeah. And not only that, what about actually writing? <laughs> actually writing a manuscript actually writing looked it. very different in the early 2000s. Uh -huh. um, I'm pretty sure uh, there were there were some programs, but most yeah. everybody had either Microsoft Word or WordPerfect, Corel which is what Word I Perfect. which is what I used for a lot, and that was a huge headache. We didn't have Scrivener, no. we didn't have Google Drive or Google Docs. There was no cloud. Mm -hmm. There, <laughs> I mean, I was just I was just thinking about that, trying to imagine going back to working without the cloud. Oh, I love the cloud. Oh yeah. my goodness. I know security is a thing. I get it, but I, I love the cloud. The the whole the whole security issue aside, mm -hmm. having a backup that you can get anywhere. I mean, I in the in the early 2000s when I was in high I don't know. No, I was in college. I was going to say, I was in high school, so you'd be- You were in high school. school. I was in college. <laughs> um, so this this is a little earlier than that, but mm -hmm. similar era. Mm -hmm. uh, we would have frequent power outages where we lived. We lived in a rural area. And I can't tell you how many pages I would lose mm -hmm. because the system wouldn't back up. Mm -hmm. And there was no cloud to save stuff. And, and there were no flash drives to carry things around. I had- three and a quarter floppy disks or even the, the five the, the actual floppy floppy oh, disks. yeah oh my goodness and it's it, yeah, yeah it, data transferring is so much easier now hmm. i mean and i know i have a friend who writes on her phone yeah i mean writing on phones is a thing using your phone for everything okay that's even that's in the last 10 years yeah yeah like, I'm, I'm watching like you know you watch shows that started in like 2010 or 2011 and they're using flip phones at the beginning 
because the idea of using your phone as your whole everything device is only yes. even in the last 10 years, last five years. Um, you know, in 2006, 2007, there was one person who had the phone with that kind of screen. Um, and yes, we all had phones by then, by 2006. We all had some kind of cheap phone. But, you know, one person had like the, the, uh, the Apple phone screen. And right. the touch screens didn't work very well then. So he'd be like trying to make the thing swipe and it wouldn't do it very well. And like nowadays, it's like, you know, anyone can get those. And so that has changed how people take in stories. Everyone's reading on their phones. A yes. Lot now, a lot now. Um, whereas then, you know, the, the big thing in 2010 and in 2009, 10, well, that was e-readers. It wasn't yeah. phone reading. There was a huge surge. Mm-hmm. on and which you know e-readers are now they're ubiquitous still i mean yeah, they're they're, standard, yeah. they're they're quite standard now but um they st- although i do find it interesting that they haven't replaced physical books like like everybody thought they would i didn't um, think they would but and also, i didn't think they would either but also i think that's interesting that instagram which is a very modern thing has like brought back the book yeah as a prop and as an item of decor yep and as an item to show off as like a trophy like it's yeah. really interesting how a social media technology thing brought back the need for paperback yeah and hardback stuff so it's just it's interesting. ironic <laughs> um, but so that was so that's those are the things that we use for writing what about what about other elements of writing well like nowadays there's plotting software yeah. okay so you can like buy plotting software that will help you go through different things like cam wyland has software to help you outline your novels and everything nice. yes Wow, that's based cool. on her books. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, like people, I mean, I don't think back then. I'm pretty sure you didn't have all these different types of plotting structures to follow. I mean, they're all yeah, no. By, by the way, they all follow the basic models. Okay, I have looked at all of them. They all have commonalities. Yep. But the way that they can work with different learning styles and different genres is interesting. Yeah. Um, it's easier to get ghostwriters now and to do collaborations now with the internet. Um. People are selling whole plots and concepts. They're just creating plots and concepts and selling them to other authors. Yeah, that's crazy. So you just wouldn't see that back then. No, I think it did come out of the early 2000s. Yeah. Because that's when you had fanfiction.net and that's when you had fictionpress.net and you had message boards. And like, that's where you got into like the play by post storytelling where people got used to the idea of treating plot and all of that as a bit more fluid and collaborative. And so I do believe that all of that informed how people are publishing more mm-hmm. now. I think that was a precursor to all of it was the internet introduced this idea of people doing all this group storytelling or yeah. trading plots back and forth or, you know, coming up with different game concepts and then throwing out plot ideas as if they were a separate thing. Now, did you have plot doctors in the past and people who had come up with stories? Yes, of course you did. But not nearly at the level of everything. Yeah. Now. You didn't have, like, plot computerized generators. <laughs> you didn't have AI doing stuff with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole AI thing, mm-hmm. that's a little bit Skynet for me. <laughs> Speaking of AI and, and, and getting into your writing, what about editing? Now? Editing. Mm-hmm. Editing has always been a thing. As long as there have been stories, they have needed to be edited. Yes. But certainly mm-hmm. back in, you know, the olden days, there I think there were fewer editors available. It just was a smaller career. career yeah. It was, it was not considered something that you could 
make a living doing it was or if you could it was harder to get into because yes. you would have to work for one of the big houses you would have to do a lot of work which that hasn't changed apparently that hasn't changed <laughs> but like but it, just it was, was super not, competitive it was super competitive it was hard to get into all the time if you wanted to do editing you would more likely go into news writing and what yeah. i was thinking about as a teenager and considering writing after i failed algebra two and sent back to multiplication and had to go to remedial math and mom was like okay you need to go into humanities <laughs> <laughs> my brain was like i've got to go into news writing or copywriting or yeah. marketing that's where you can get the easier jobs fiction book editing just felt really unobtainable yes because there were just not as many jobs for the amount of people now <laughs> I mean, it's still competitive. Okay, it's, it's still, still competitive. competitive. Don't be a make no mistake. <laughs> because now, anyone can call themselves an editor. Right. And it takes a lot more effort to vet people out and find the person who works for you. It, it's it's interesting because yeah, back in back in the day, it was competitive because there weren't very many positions available. Smart, it's yeah. competitive today because you need to make sure that you find the people who actually know what they're doing. There's a glut. Yes. Yeah. So you have to figure out how to show if you, and I'm assuming, how do you differentiate? Yes. Yeah. I was just talking with someone the other day who wanted to go into freelance editing. And I said, well, you've got to figure out how to distinguish yourself from every other person out there with an English degree who says they're an editor. Right. You have to figure out how to offer something that people uniquely want and mm. be able to deliver it. Don't say like, I am a market focused editor. My background is in marketing and communications, and I have a lot of proof of how I've been effective at this. But it's really easy now to say that you're good at something or that you have a specialty and not be able to prove those things right. because of how the internet works. And so I think the, the, even just trying to find an editor is a wild west now, a lot more than it was um, earlier because you just didn't have the availability. Yeah. Well, and what about what about resources for editors? Mm -hmm. Like, cause I know, I know uh, everybody now talks about software like Grammarly, but mm -hmm. that wasn't around. No, and you wouldn't trust it if it was. <laughs> okay. So true. Well, like, <laughs> you, you, when you, when you were like, you know, growing up in like the late nineties and the mid nineties and the two thousands, you knew not to trust things that were on the internet without oh, yeah. validating them. Oh yeah. No. Like that oh. was where the crazy stuff was. Like yeah. it, it was a lot easier to just say, okay, you know, we have to validate this. We have to confirm this with an actual book or something that actually has been vetted. Yeah. And nowadays, I mean, fake news is everywhere. It's, you have to spend a lot more time figuring that out, but they have improved proofreading software and stuff which that's only been the last maybe three or four years yeah like over yeah. even the mid like around 2015 mm. it existed it was a joke <laughs> you know whereas my late my latest book um just because i knew i was going to introduce more typos i ran my book through free grammarly oh yeah the latest self-published thing it caught i mean and then i did a quick proof of the the final like on paper it caught about and this was free Grammarly. It caught yeah. about 90% and 95% of everything hey. there. Like the only few things I didn't catch were things that I had to really see as an author. Like, it's not going to know that I used the wrong character name here. Right. Okay? <laughs> That's right. Not, but, but if I had upgraded to premium with the AI, it might have. I was just using the free one as a quick check. So that's right. the crazy thing about AI and everything is that you can 
input things in it, into it to make it more intelligent. Skynet, man. <laughs> Um, and I think also with nowadays, and people ask this, especially in the self-publishing field, like in a publishing house, you have internal standards. You know when something's ready. Yeah. Um, but when you're self-pubbing, people have asked me, how do you know when you stop? <laughs> how do you know when it's done? There's it's no a legitimate time. question. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably one that we're going to tackle in a future episode. It's very uh, worth considering. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, how do you know when it's done? You don't have those gatekeepers in the same way. And that's just, that's tricky. Uh, the kind of power that you have now in the self-publishing industry that can be, again, you know, great power, great responsibility. <laughs> so in talking about that, what about this whole publishing industry? How's that changed, Amy? Well, publishing as a whole, again, it's the idea of it has been around forever. But, but back in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. If you were published, you were traditionally published, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you weren't taken seriously. Right. <laughs> there, there were, I, I remember there being opportunities to self-publish, but most of them were through vanity or subsidiary presses, mm -hmm. or you could, you could cobble something together on your own, but it wasn't high quality. And the, they, those were the folks who were just the sketch ones that would yeah. just kind of, you, you know emerge from basements and, and yeah, or like they talked about how like the world was going to end in 2000 yeah you know? yeah yeah and like those kind of things they, ran they were the y2k like... preppers and and stuff like that so yeah it was it was a place for really alternative stuff and again not saying that all of Which, alternative things are bad no. you know discernment's good and if you're a y2k just... prepper good on you that's yeah fine. It, it didn't work out but you know we're not blaming you no, okay no we're not blaming you um but the idea was out of this is that if it's not traditionally published, if it's not trad, it's not really real. Right. And also the idea of there were pricing gateways. So there was, yes. a, there was a gateway in terms of, you know, you had to be trad. But if you wanted to self-publish, it was expensive to do Very. well. Yeah. Which, yeah. again, led to the idea of vanity. Led to the idea of it being like a vanity book, the way you get a vanity car when you have too much money, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um. And so this idea that it's not real if it's not trad, the idea of having these pricing gateways and stuff, that doesn't exist now. Self-publishing yeah. is relatively easier now. Now, we know if you're starting off this, if you're a brand new author, you're probably bewildered by everything, yeah. especially if you're not the kind of person who thinks in systems <laughs> and who's not really internally organized. If you're a little more artistically right-brained, you might still be overwhelmed by self-publishing now. But it's actually relatively a lot easier now than it used to be absolutely mm -hmm. and um it it is certainly more respected yes um and it doesn't mean you can't doesn't mean that you can't you can get away with not doing the work i mean you yes. have to you have to put out a quality product and, everything, and there's still but... a stigma there's still people who go oh yeah it was self-published or who yeah. think anything self-published yeah. isn't great you can't change those people's minds um that's just people are going to think what they think but there are, um, it is, it is much more attainable mm -hmm. to self-publish now. Yes. And as a result of being able to self-publish, you can keep a lot of your own profits and a lot of your own business. It's yours. You're not relying right. on a cut right. from somebody else or, or whatever. And back again, back in the day, um, when, 
And it's, this is actually, this is something interesting because I still run into this, this idea a lot Mm -hmm. that if you are published through a traditional publisher, Mm -hmm. you must have gotten a gigantic advance. Oh yeah. Hmm. That's, that is, that is, and I still run into that. Like people, Mm -hmm. people I talk to on the street or in get togethers or whatever, they, they just have an idea that if you have written a book and been traditionally published, you have been given a lot of money in response or in, in payment for that book. And the interesting thing is that wasn't even true 15 years ago. That wasn't even ago. true 15 or 20 years ago. No. Mm-hmm. Um, the Now, of course, there are always outliers. Stephen there are, King. Yeah, Stephen King, King, J.K. Rowling, you know, I mean, they, they, they have, <laughs> those are like the blockbuster authors yeah. and that, and, and those are the, you know, the fraction of a fraction of a percent mm-hmm. of authors in the industry. Um, I went to a conference, it had to be 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, where it was the faculty, the faculty there were on a Q and a panel and they yeah. did a, they were all mid-listers. Okay. So they were, they're popular authors who, if they, they had well-developed platforms, mm-hmm. they all had brands mm-hmm. and they were saying that mm-hmm. in the eighties, when they would publish a book, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to see an advance of $20,000, $15,000. But at that point, which was 15 15 years ago, if they were to put out a book at that point, their advance would be more in the lines of five to 8,000. Which sounds like a lot, but that's not a lot to live on, guys. Not a lot to live on. You can't live on that. Mm -hmm. And which is why there's been a lot of this motion toward writers doing more than just writing Mm -hmm. that's why you see a lot of writers doing public opinion uh, public opinions public (laughs) what are those things what's it called appearances those things public appearances and conferences and they teach classes and seminars and they mentor people Mm -hmm. and much of that is being able to make ends meet because because right. with advances now that small and again that was 15 years ago um with inflation the way it is i wouldn't be surprised if it's lower especially with trad markets like you know that side of things is struggling a lot more now but i do um, know that many of those mid-listers when they were able to get their rights back on their backlist mm-hmm. they turned around and self-published right because that that allows them to still be legitimate uh, author people in the industry now, mm-hmm. but they're making a little bit more on the side than they would have with just their regular traditional publishing. And now we're saying this, like we run a small press. Now we run it like indies. So we run a very different kind of small press, but it is royalty paying. So we're not, um, we're not saying that if you're a trad signed or that if you want to be trad signed, that's a bad thing. Okay. Oh, no, you no, not at all. You definitely have your reasons for that and they're legitimate. And that's one of the reasons um, that we believe in having small traditional publishing because some people just do better in community. Some people do better with a bigger business. Sometimes the brand makes more sense with you. And that is completely, completely legitimate. So there's a subset of the indie world that like is super suspicious of yes. everything, Trad. We're not, we don't flow with that. That's not our thing. We think there's different ways you can do. And actually we're both kind of fans of the hybrid thing where you do a bunch Mm -hmm. of each. We think Mm -hmm. that that's really the way things are going. And that's the smartest move you can do have, keep, you know, put your eggs in multiple baskets. Well, and like, like we've said before, it depends on your audience. It depends on your market. Mm -hmm. 
like like I mentioned before, that nonfiction manuscript that's out, mm-hmm. I want that to go trad. Yeah. Because that's a better market mm-hmm. for traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. And so, but I've got a ton of other stuff that will do better indie. So yeah. And I mean, people have asked me, like, if you run UUP, why aren't you all your books the UUP or why are any of them through it? I'm like, look, I have partners with me. The books that get submitted to UUP and go with that are the ones that fit the brand of UUP and they're going to make the most sense for the business. Exactly. I have other books that make a lot more sense for other parts of my brand and that don't fit the UUP brand. Why would I sabotage my business by trying to put books out through it that don't fit the brand? That's going to make it harder to market. Exactly. So like you have to kind of think from that perspective and a lot more authors are having to think from that perspective more now than they have before, before, you know, you sign the advance. I'm I'm saying before, like even 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And even then you always had industrious authors who would self-publish back then, like hundreds of years ago and make themselves their own brand. So that's a thing. Okay. Like there's always those business minded entrepreneurs who are like, I want to do it myself anyway, keep all the profit and do it my way and go with you. But nowadays it is becoming a lot more important to understand marketing and branding for all authors than arguably it was 20 years ago. Would you agree, Amy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's important that you understand it because Mm -hmm. there are, there are so many options now in some areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know one of, one of the areas which, and this is, We've talked about this before, mm-hmm. just you and me, yeah. commiserating somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as as far as options of like distribution oh for goodness. for mm-hmm. self publishing and indie publishing, mm-hmm. there's not there aren't too many options. If there's a monopoly, yeah, we don't like it. But unfortunately, there's not a whole lot we can personally do to change this. Um, We're hoping that that you know. Hoping, praying, <laughs> it's kind of like, we all know um, there is a, corp- a company that has something in common with a forest, and this company both makes it very easy to self-publish and is known to treat authors, in some cases, with certain amounts of, uh, shall we say, less than respectful practices and or, you know, does not care as much about certain things that's very charitably said that's true i have things okay i do too i do too (laughs) but there isn't really another good option so if you want to indie publish and get like you know the bigger distribution and bookstores you have to go through another company um that is very sparky and this company also has a bit of monopoly on that angle and makes it difficult for you. You have to jump through all of their hoops and everything. I wonder at a certain point, if especially the Sparky company thinks that if they actually let other people into the field, it would actually probably help them out. I wonder <laughs> because, sometimes. But at the same time, I wonder if, you know, I know Drafted Digital was trying to get into print stuff and they've hit a lot of roadblocks. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I think it's also a matter of the industry itself is under a lot of flux. It's very unstable, especially with print 
and certain shortages that are happening right now. Yeah. And so I don't think that's very incentivizing for a business owner to say, I want to suddenly start printing books. I understand right. why that might not be the most appealing thing for them to do if they're trying to make money. <laughs> The, 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 the difficult part of it is, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the distribution, mm -hmm. you really have two options mm -hmm. and they both have completely different sets of hoops that you have to jump mm -hmm. through and you have to learn how to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so that is, but, but the thing is, you've got to know that yes. if you, if you aren't aware of that again, 20 years ago, if you had a traditional publisher who was doing this for you, they you did it, they did it for you. It. Yeah. Don't have to think about it. But if you want to go indie and if you want to do it yourself, these are things you have to know. You have yep. to know the differences in cover sizes and the differences in trim sizes. And mm -hmm. what's the difference between cream colored paper and white paper? And what about barcodes? And what about mm -hmm. ISBNs? And, and what formatting looks good in different right, things and all right. of that. And I mean, it's so that's a big challenge. And that depends on how well your books get bought at conferences exactly. and conventions and those things. So nowadays you have to wear a lot more hats and you have to think about things a lot more. Now, if you sign onto a big trad house, you still won't have as much control. They'll do a lot more for you, especially on the production side, which is good, or even a small press. Like, yeah. you know, the books that UP acquires, we handle all of that. Okay, like we, we got that. Something is messed up with your book, you email us and you know, someone on my staff is going to handle it. You don't have to deal with that, which is actually one of the reasons that some authors like us is because they don't have to think about it. Um, but like, if you ever want to do indie publishing, you have to wear a lot more hats. And even if you're going to do trad, there's a lot more expectation now for authors to know their brands and to show up as that brand and to connect with people a lot more. I think partly this is actually because of all the competition, which yeah. is a good thing and a bad thing. Okay. You, back then there were only so many authors getting published. Okay. Just realistically in the U.S., only so many authors getting published. Now, you not only have authors being published by the thousands and ten thousands and more every day, they're doing that from all over the world. So yeah. your audience can get authors from all over the world and around the world in some respects. Like they do have their own markets they can do very well in. But they also know that if they can get their books translated to English, they have that market too, because it's a very common second language in a number of countries. So the just the sheer level of competition, not in kind of a vicious way, but just in the reality of it, there's just a lot more out there. So having to stand out and having to network well and build community well is so much more important now that even trad houses see that and ask their authors to do a lot more. And that can be really hard for you as an author like Amy and I took classes on this. We've taken, we've been college educated on copywriting and this kind of stuff. And we have done it professionally and gotten paid for it and such. We've read books on ad copy and, and sales and branding. This isn't something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Even for someone like me who I, I've always been weird and naturally interested in, I've done a lot of study. So I do feel for authors don't you amy that they have to like go into these areas that their brains just may not be equipped to deal with oh, absolutely um there's the thing that I always end up talking about with with new authors and and mm -hmm. new new people who self-published yeah. or even traditionally published to a certain extent mm -hmm. is how they didn't realize yeah. that there were so many pieces and there were so many plates to mm -hmm. keep spinning um 
and it's it's just it's an important thing to learn and, and it's an important thing to to make your decision about very early mm-hmm. because if if you're not able to spin all those plates you may not want to be indie you may need to go trad mm-hmm. um and that's but that's that's okay it's your decision either way but and even, but even if you go trad you still have to show up a lot differently yes even even when you go traditional there are there are still many you still have to show personal ownership of your brand mm-hmm. um it is it is not that is one thing that so I would say, and and we were talking about this earlier too, I'm not necessarily sure that that has changed a whole lot. I mean, how we do it has changed. And gotten more complicated. Yes, yes. But but even 20 years ago, you still had to take personal ownership in what you were doing. Yes. Yeah. And that's tiring. And we get that. And that's why we try to make things easier. That's why we do the services we do with the market focus stuff is because we want you to be equipped and no one can make it easy, but we can make it easier. And sometimes that's just what you need. You know, right. sometimes an editor who can give you marketable quotes that you can use to promote your book along with your edited manuscript can make all the difference um, in just making it easier to do the work. Yeah. Because it is work, as you mentioned. Like, it's work. It can be fun work, but it's just, it's work. It's still work. Um, <laughs> and it's even more important to be clear about what you want to do, how you want to do it, how that will work with the market, and all of those things. So that's why we always ask those wonderfully inconvenient questions like, <laughs> what's your motivation? What are your goals? What's your audience? What is your dreams? Before we go into all the nuts and bolts, because it really changes depending on those key core questions. Exactly. <laughs> Which, again, that sounds like something that we're going to be talking about in future episodes, doesn't it, Amy? I think so. I think mm-hmm. that's that's another one of those topics we hear so frequently that mm-hmm. it'll probably be worth mentioning (laughs) probably probably yeah absolutely (laughs) and uh i have been actually talking about uh the thing that's lord willing is going to launch in the fall the fearless book marketing method yes i have been diving into the stuff to do to rework things we will likely be having some of those things show up as little exclusives in the author elevate mastermind as i'm finding Mm -hmm. cool things in there that's so exciting the first time you told me about that that class is it a class or are we calling it, it a is, course it is a course it's it is a, a course, course. Uh-huh. i did it previously under stress-free sales and i'm going back and tweaking some things and it's now going to be called the uh, fearless book marketing method the first time you told me about everything that's in there i just thought it was the coolest thing because mm-hmm. it's just it's it's got so many techniques and strategies and useful practical information and taught in a way that teaches you how to filter yeah yeah. Which makes it a bit more valuable and at a higher, a bit of a higher price point. Because yeah. a lot of places just kind of dump the information on you and they help you sift through it. But, you know, it's a lot of stuff. This really helps with the personalization. It's constantly asking you questions about how is this going to make sense for you? How are you going to do this? And it helps you to figure that out for all of your books. Um, so if you're that kind of author who is multi-passionate, who's going to be doing books for different things, um, who has the kind of brain that doesn't always just want to absorb all the data and courses, but really wants things that are going to help you think about the why and fit it into your busy schedules. That's who I made this for. 
awesome. I made this for those people. And I'm super excited to relaunch this thing with you, Amy. So guys, keep an eye out for that. Um, and and that's what we'll, we'll be putting freebies and extras in the mastermind, right? We are going to, um, if you're on the third tier of our Patreon, I am going to be sharing some cool worksheets from that. And if you're in the mastermind group, I think it's about time for us to start doing some live Q and A. I was just going to ask because. And to do some little tweaks there as well, because what's the point of having it otherwise? Exactly. Um, so mastermind people, thank you for your patience with that as we've been saying and all these. And they just, of course, they want to see our faces. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Okay, so just these are those <laughs> things out there. It's a good time to join our Patreon. It is a good time um, to think about what you're interested in investing for your future. And of course, those of you who are part of my beta group for this, um, as things come available again, you're going to get access to it because you get lifetime access. So isn't that nice? I love lifetime access. I do. When I invest yeah. in big courses, I love lifetime access. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to them. So. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in today. Oliver. We're so glad you joined us, whether you're on YouTube watching us make faces mm -hmm. or whether you're on a podcast mm -hmm. platform, wherever you find it. We're just so thrilled that you're here. Please subscribe yes. so that you get new updates and don't hesitate to tell everybody that you know who wants to write books about us because yes. we have a lot of jokes that, <laughs> that we need to tell. <laughs> equip you to encourage you and yes we are here to have some fun it's never going to be too serious that's right because you don't last this long in this industry without having a sense of humor you know what life is too serious to be taken seriously that's my motto absolutely and on that go forth and be awesome bye guys bye